When it comes to industrial cybersecurity, there's long been a partition between the information technology, or IT, and operational technology, OT, sides. Cybersecurity is generally considered the domain of information technologists or data professionals. But modern buildings are connected in ways facility managers never dreamed of 30 years ago. Everything from lobby signage to elevators to surveillance cameras is now web-enabled, which means it's right for anyone with computer savvy and malicious intent. In the modern environment, OT professionals must be just as aware of the threats and vulnerabilities and know how to defend against them. Hi, welcome back to the ICS Pulse podcast. I'm Gary Cohen, one of your hosts, the other host, Tyler Wall. Welcome, Tyler. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Cruising along here. We got another good episode here. We've got uh, one of our early contributors to the website, Brian Bennett. With He's a cybersecurity practice leader at Environmental Systems Design. Uh, fun guy to talk to, uh, somewhat intimidating, ex-military. Uh, a lot of the people we talk to are, but uh, but a fun guy to talk to. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about this ITOT divide and building cybersecurity. Uh, so should be a fun one today. Yeah, it should be. He should. Uh, he definitely has a knack for almost like scaring you. Like once you leave the conversation, you have a little bit of a little bit of fear. Kind of like one of our earlier episodes, actually. Um, this is going to be a similar thing, I think. And this fear has nothing to do with the fact, as I said, he used to be a a, a military sniper, I believe. And we're doing the interview over Zoom, and not on not during the interview, but at one point during the interview. He uh, he pulled out a, a semi-automatic weapon from under his desk. Now, he lives in Oklahoma and I live in Chicago. It wasn't close enough to be that scary to me, but it just drove home the fact that, uh, that yes, he could be an, an intimidating fella, but also a great sense of humor, fun guy to talk to. Yeah, I wish I could have been there for that conversation. <laughs> I, I look forward to talking with him in the future, too. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I do want to talk to before we get into building cybersecurity and Brian Bennett is uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, released a long-awaited, their long-awaited cybersecurity performance goals just recently for, uh, for critical infrastructure, which the Biden administration has been pushing some of these baseline cybersecurity goals for a while. And this was a pretty big release that people had been waiting for. It's not transformational stuff it's really baseline measures that businesses and critical infrastructure providers can take to help lessen the impact of cyber attacks, which are coming fast and furious on critical infrastructure and businesses alike. Uh, they did, they created these goals in partnership with uh, NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, uh, to be used really with the NIST cybersecurity framework. But the goal here is to set a baseline of cybersecurity for critical infrastructure. And one of the things that, that I think we talked about in one of the last podcasts that Tyler and I don't exactly come into this with cybersecurity degrees. And one of the things that I found really surprising is when we would talk to people about critical infrastructure, I, like many rubes out in the world, assumed that well, critical infrastructure must be well protected from a cybersecurity perspective. Obviously, a nuclear plant or water, wastewater, electrical system, they must have tremendous measures in place. And then we would talk to people and they would tell us that uh, it really is not all that well protected, any more protected than any other business. I mean, obviously, there are controls in place and it varies from system to system, but uh, it was not as well protected or as short up as, as I expected it to be. 
Yeah, uh, it is kind of crazy how, at least at one point, like how little protection there was around critical infrastructure. And especially like with more and more of these stories coming out and the more research we do, just how frequent critical infrastructure attacks are and then ones that we don't even necessarily hear about. And especially now looking down at this list too, uh, one of the things they have on there is multi-factor multi authentication. And with Cybersecurity Awareness Month just now behind us, uh, that was one of their things that they talked about. And it's actually one of the things that Brian hits on pretty hard in uh, the beginning too, when we talked to him here. So um, that's definitely a major, major point of at least helping mitigate some sort of breaches. Right. And these were developed, these performance goals. There's been a push by the White House since the Biden administration came into office to establish uh, some some baselines for national infrastructure as a direct result of attacks like solar winds, attacks like Colonial Pipeline that went after critical infrastructure and actually had an impact on it. These goals that CIS has put out are voluntary. There's no mandate right now for their adoption. But we've been talking, as Tyler just mentioned, about um, coming out of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, some of these baseline things you can do, stronger password security, updates, multi-factor authentication. And these CISA goals really are similar to that. They released 37 goals uh, aiming to raise organization cybersecurity baseline. And it's really pretty convenient if you haven't looked at it. There's a security benchmark laid out, and then they judge it by cost, complexity, and impact. So you can look at things that are low impact, low cost, or high impact, low cost. Most of the things, most of the 37 things they have on this list are pretty low complexity, they're pretty high impact, and they're pretty low cost. It's about creating that baseline. So changing default passwords, minimum password strength, separating user and privileged accounts, uh, disabling macros by default, things like that, that don't take a ton to do and can deliver a pretty good bang for your buck. There are only a few things on here, three that I saw that are high cost, high complexity, high impact. That's prohibiting connection of unauthorized devices, vulnerability disclosure and reporting, and third-party validation of cybersecurity control effectiveness. That last one is something you'll hear it in the interview with Brian that he pushes pretty hard at the end is have somebody validate the cybersecurity that you're doing. And that doesn't mean that your organization doesn't trust the professionals, IT or OT or otherwise, who are put in charge of cybersecurity. Those people may be doing an amazing, an excellent, a near perfect job, but it's always good to have, and this is something you'll hear Brian say in the interview, have a third party come in to check the checker. He used the analogy of, a, of going to the doctor. None of us, uh, after a certain age, go to the doctor and have the doctor say, you're, everything you're doing is great. You're perfect. You're, you're the very image of health. No notes. You're done. There's always something. There's always something that somebody else, a third eye looking at a system can, can find that perhaps you hadn't thought of, and even if they're to say these systems are great, it's great to have that validation. So third-party validation, it's something that's on uh, the CISA guidelines that they put out, also something that's very useful. So I would just say, if you haven't looked at them yet, if it hasn't impacted you, definitely take a look at these 37 goals that CISA put out about critical infrastructure, really useful stuff. And again, most of it, not that hard to implement, not that costly to implement, and will 
put you in much better stead when it comes to uh, cybersecurity and threat actors trying to get into your systems. Yeah, and while we're kind of talking about third-party validation, uh, there was actually a cyber attack recently on a hospital chain, a nonprofit hospital chain. Actually, one of the biggest ones in the country, I believe, the US of A, of course, for all of our international listeners. Um, yeah, it was a cyber attack on Comet and Spirit Health, and it affected 140 hospitals and uh, over 1,000 care sites. I Basically, what the cyber attack caused was uh, forcing ambulances to take alternate routes, uh, just cause system shutdowns, and then um, patient appointments need to be rescheduled. Um, and there's not really, since this was fairly recent, there wasn't really anything else besides that, talking about, uh, I guess, what's like who committed the attack. But um, basically what happened was the IT, the IT team at the actual hospital center uh, noticed that things were happening. And then these uh, ambulances started needing to take alternate routes and all of that stuff. So just having like some sort of validation third party wise would have maybe helped that situation a little bit more or even just better cybersecurity practices too. Because from my understanding of reading this, this was coming through the network as a lot of cyber attacks do. Um, and just some sort of extra protection around that could have maybe prevented that, especially since hospitals are a very important part of our civilization. Uh, and just like surviving as human beings. Now we could talk about healthcare another day, but um, they're just very important. So having hospitals with the best cybersecurity practices possible is something that feels like it should just be a common practice. And that's why it falls under critical infrastructure. It's yeah. critical. Uh, all of these systems are nuclear, water, wastewater, hospital, transportation, banking. These are critical systems to keep countries and civilizations up and running. And we're going to talk again about building cybersecurity today, which I think is really relevant. Tyler and I were actually talking to somebody earlier this morning from Nanolock, a uh, cybersecurity company. And we were talking about protecting smart factories. So it wasn't specifically about building. There's so much good from connecting systems. It comes out of connecting systems for factories, supply chains. It can be great for companies, increased value, increased efficiency, but all of these connections that are happening and they are happening in smart factories, they're happening in smart buildings, whether you're, it's your HVAC that is now connected, your uh, elevators that are connected, the TVs in your lobby that are connected, uh, your water systems that are connected, all of these Increased connections mean increased cyber risk. Every device, sensor, piece of equipment, connected product. These assets are great for business, but they're also a vulnerability. So it's something that really needs to be watched because it's connected and it does open you up to threat. Brian Bennett, in this interview coming up, I asked him at the very beginning where buildings are vulnerable. And he basically said they're vulnerable everywhere. Um, yeah, it's, it is something that, that, it, with, again, Industry 4.0, this sort of fourth industrial revolution where everything is getting networked, buildings are vulnerable in ways that they never were before. And um, it's definitely something that needs to be thought about. Definitely something that we will spend more time talking about. But Brian has some some good viewpoints on what can happen. And to Tyler's point on hospital facilities, I mean, you think about why a threat actor would go after a hospital. 
like many things, threat actors can go after something for an, any number of reasons, but the two main are money. So you look at ransomware, they're looking for a quick payout. So you're looking for a pain point and a hospital is a significant pain point. If you're taking systems offline and these things, these sorts of attacks happened at the height of the COVID pandemic where hospitals were absolutely inundated by people. And if you take systems off offline during that point, Hospital systems are going to be pretty eager to pay that ransom and to get a quick payout. And the other thing that that when you're talking about critical infrastructure, somebody might be going after or another thing, not the other thing, is creating havoc, creating chaos. And you can imagine if you took a hospital system offline, if you, you know, something that is a respiratory device, something that's keeping people alive, if that, if, if a, a threat actor, a hacker can come in from the outside and take something like that offline that can create significant chaos and again, also lead to maybe a payout. So these critical systems are very vulnerable. Building systems are very vulnerable and it's important to be thinking about their security. Yeah. And then all kind of just wrapping around to Brian coming in. Uh, there was actually a different cyber attack that happened. Oh, it was years ago now. Um, I actually wrote about it fairly recently and it was on actually building automation system in it was Deutschland, I believe it was in Germany. Uh, so, but what happened there was there was an insider. So this was an example of like an insider um, taking advantage of the knowledge to shut down the whole building automation system. So it was a smart building and he took away the smart part of it and made it just a building. And luckily the IT team was able to get in there and undo that to make it a smart building again. And then obviously they learned from that, but it's crazy with these smart buildings. I mean, so much is tied to everything there network wise, building locks, lights, HVAC, heating, all of that. So just like when a threat actor can get in like that um, to the actual building automation system, they can really do whatever they want. And in this case, they did. They shut everything down. Um, but fortunately, they didn't take it to the extreme that they could have, i.e. cranking up the boilers, making everything blow up, locking all the doors, everything like that. It's really interesting how you start to view the world when you work tangentially, tangentially like we do in cybersecurity is we work from home quite a bit, but there's also an office we go into in downtown Chicago. Mm -hmm. And now every time I walk into that office, I look around, I'm like connected, 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 connected. What could somebody do to all of these systems? Mm -hmm. You can walk around and look around. It's, a, it's, like a, it's like Mr. Rogers, look at your home and look around at the things that are connected and see where you're vulnerable. Exactly. With that, we've been teasing Brian Bennett for about 45 minutes here. So we're gonna actually bring him in here and let him talk a little bit about uh, that OT divide we talked about at the beginning, but also building cybersecurity. Brian Bennett is a cyber practice leader at Environmental Systems Designer, ESD. Prior to that, he spent many years at big companies like Dell and Walmart as an IT professional, also a facilities expert. So we're going to talk about facilities today. Brian, welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So let's start on buildings. Uh, where are the majority of buildings most vulnerable right now to cyber attack? Well, it's interesting because most of them are actually vulnerable, honestly, everywhere. Anything that is on the network, whether it's an IT, OT, even the guest Wi-Fi, if it is somehow connected to your internal environment, it could be a vulnerability. Most uh, guest Wi-Fi's, they're not 
they're on a totally separate circuit and they're not able to be connected, but it could be something as, again, as easy to overlook as electronic sign signage in a lobby. It could be, you know, any type of node or device on the network that is simply not patched or not with the you know, an appropriate password or just left unsecured thinking that nobody can reach it. Many people have a tendency to say it's on a private network. But if you're working remotely or you're out of your building or anything of that nature and you can still VPN, it is not on a private network. It is on a different network segment that still has vulnerability. So again, to answer your question, the only way to determine that your environment has the least amount of vulnerabilities or a less, you know, everything is secure or everything is as secure as it can be is to do an overall health check of your entire environment. And it, looking at something like the, uh, the Verkata surveillance camera breach that happened recently, mm -hmm. basically anything web enabled can basically be accessed with someone or by someone with, I'm going to do that again. It's Verkata, yes. I always say Verdaka. All right. So looking at the Verkata security breach that happened recently with surveillance cameras, basically anything that's web enabled can be accessed by someone with malicious intent. And then once they're on, they can just linger in that system and wait until something useful for them comes up, correct? That is absolutely correct. What usually happens is somebody with malicious intent will try to not bust down the front door like, you know, ram a bank safe vault and just try to break their way in. What they'll do now is find something that they consider obscure or something that's not guarded as heavily. And once they can access that, they'll sit there. They won't for a while, determined on the nature of the environment, what a while actually is. But what they will do is they'll sit there and just slowly look around and try their best to be undetected. With that, most intrusions are over 200 days before they're detected. So somebody literally has seven months-ish to, on average, just to look around and see what they can find. So if anybody has unencrypted files, anything can get into, once they make a hop, of course the network term is every node or every device is a hop. So once you can get from one hop to the next, you can literally have access to anything that is left unprotected or less protected because hackers quite sadly are, are ahead of us. It's like being a policeman. You have to go chase the crime when you know it's happening. You can't always prepare something to make it crime proof. It's the same scenario. So what are a few things that smart building or facility managers should be doing to help protect their facilities against cyber attack? There are three that always stick out as a primary concern. The absolute very first one is to use multi-factor authentication. Anytime, especially if you're on the outside of the building or, or remoting in, whatever you want to call it. If you have, if you can access your environment, you need to have multi-factor authentication. It could be something as a RSA token, it could be, you know, a separate password, it could be even logging into a lot of devices and have BitLocker, you have to unlock that machine locally before you can access an external network. And that's how it should be. But multi-factor authentication, to me, is one of the highest uh, priorities you can have. But it goes with at least two others. The second one would be encryption. 
every single thing that you would hold us to be the, you know, the crown jewels of your environment, encrypt that file, make it very, very restricted. Most of the people in the IT environment understand work groups or user groups. If you're in accounting or in HR, if you're in HR, you can see everybody's salary, everybody's health records, social security numbers, family members, addresses, everything that's, that's really, really sacred to personal information. If those files aren't encrypted, or if anybody that knows somebody else's password can get in, it's not safe. You've got to have a separate level, even though you can log in as somebody in HR, you need to have a separate password to access that, that file or that file share. And the very, I'll say the last one, the third, and to me, equally as important, maintain your patch level, whether it's an, you know, IT, you know, whether it's router switches, laptops, desktops, any end device, as well as the OT environment. There are so many updates that come out for OT specific environments that just aren't applied because again, most people think it's on a separate network, it's on a private network, it can't be accessed. Most of the folks that make those decisions in a facility or if you have a security type of a leader, they don't understand IT and as, as well as they maybe should to make that educated you know, statement, but also a hacker is probably better at infiltrating your environment that you are protecting. It. But anything you can do to be a deterrent because no environment is completely safe. I think we've all been made aware of that. But anything you can do to ensure that it's really difficult for a hacker, they'll simply move on unless they just get obsessed with your environment. They'll move on. And sadly, that's better than hanging out in your world. So if you can just get them to go to the next target, it's still better than you know it happening to you. So the responsibility for cybersecurity usually falls squarely on internal IT departments. Do you think most IT departments are equipped to handle the kinds of modern attacks that are coming in more and more quickly today? That's a trick question. Um, the short answer is no. I believe that in one of my previous employers, I believe that they believed that everything could be done in-house. We all knew everything that we needed to know and we didn't need to outsource or get a third party to validate us. The trouble with that is you don't know everything. You think you do, but you don't, right? You, your leaders can put all kinds of faith in you and they should, but collaboration as well as getting a third party entity to simply check the checker, right? You know, every year, all the accounting departments everywhere go through an audit to make sure that the books are right so they can publish their financials. Security should be no different. You should have an outside source validate what you're doing. And it'd be amazing if they come back and say, you've done everything right, looks good. You know, it's locked up as tight as it can be. None of us have ever gone to the doctor years you know, over and over and had them go, you're the picture of health. You will never have any health issues. You got it covered. It's just, it's always good to make the investment to validate yourself, always. That's great information. Thanks so much, Brian. And thanks for sharing your insights with us today. Yes, sir. Thanks so much to Brian Bennett. Another great interview about the ITOT divide, building cybersecurity. Always fun to talk to Brian. Very interesting fella. 
the interview was good. You should hear the stuff that was after the interview. Very interesting guy. Has a lot of good things to say about cybersecurity and everything else in the world. Two quick things that he brought up there that, uh, that I found really interesting. We're not too far from Cybersecurity Awareness Month. There were four different behaviors the cybersecurity experts were focusing on for Cybersecurity Awareness Month, enabling multi-factor authentication, using strong passwords, updating software, recognizing and reporting phishing. When Brian was talking about some of the baseline cybersecurity uh, procedures you can put in place, he kind of hit on most, if not all of them. He talked about multi-factor authentication, how useful that is. He talked about encryption. He talked about stronger passwords. And he talked about patches, how important it is to run those patches, especially on the OT side, where these machines have been running for a long time and are not always patched. So very important things. And he hammered home a lot of those basic baseline cybersecurity procedures that we all should be doing, but are, as we all know, are not always done. The other thing, Tyler, that I thought was uh, very interesting, although he said many interesting things, and I think people know this, but adding the, he, he gave some good context for me that really had it hit home a little bit more. When he pointed out that most intrusions are more than 200 days before they're detected. So you think about a cyber attack, or you talk to, to, to people and say, you know, are your systems at risk? Have you been breached? Have you had a cyber attack? And it always surprises me when people quickly say, no, 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 our systems are secure. Somebody could literally be sitting in your systems for seven months, 200 days, on average, just looking around, trying to see what they can find, trying to see what's vulnerable, you know, probing your systems and trying to find the weak spot. It, there are threat actors who are trying to get a quick payout, who are trying to get, it's a smash and grab job, trying to get in and out quickly, trying to get their payout and disappear. But there are also threat actors that are out there that are very patient, that will sit in your systems, they will find an entry point into your systems, they will sit in there for a long time, and they will take their time looking for the place that you are vulnerable before they attack. So people who confidently say that their systems have never been breached and are not under attack, uh, hopefully they're right but there also could be somebody lurking in your systems right now, looking at your stuff and trying to find the way where they can do the most damage. Yeah, it's it's difficult to really know if someone is in there unless things are like actively happening. But yeah, definitely implementing those best practices help mitigate that to some degree. It just gives them some more peace of mind. Um, and then just always being on the alert to for cyber attack by just training and things of that nature. I did really appreciate uh, Brian's, he's like a no-nonsense kind of guy. You know, he will tell it like it is. He is prepared to tell you the worst of the scenarios and just, yeah, I really appreciated that about him. And he's on his best behavior when he's uh, when when he's dur during the interview, but afterwards he gets even more no-nonsense, which is great <laughs> because when I'm talking about cybersecurity, I want somebody to tell me what they see and what the truth is out there and not sugarcoat it. And uh, that is the specialty of Brian Bennett, not sugarcoating. That uh, is another thing he said that, that, to your point, Tyler, is, you know, hackers are, look, you may have wonderful cybersecurity practices in place, great IT and OT professionals, but hackers are probably better at infiltrating your environment than you are at protecting it. One of the things he said in there. So anything that you can do 
And this goes back to those 37 guideposts that CISA just released to, to protect critical infrastructure. And these could be used for other things too, like building security. Anything that you can do to ensure that it's hard for a hacker to get into your systems, especially when you're dealing with people with ransomware and are looking for those quick payouts, if your systems are difficult to get into, they might just move on and go to the next set of systems. They're looking a lot of times for the low-hanging fruit. And so give them a reason to not attack your system. They may be trying to get in, but if you have put some of these cybersecurity practices in place, you have hardened your systems a little bit, you have done some of these basic things, not even the high cost, high impact things that this is talking about. Some of the low cost, low impact are, are high impact things. Your goal is to get the attacker, the hacker to move out of your systems and move on to uh, somebody else. Yeah, and even on that point of the high impact, low cost, all that, even just starting something is at least a step in the right direction too. Um, yeah, so I hope we can definitely get Brian back on for a future podcast. But uh, for more great content like this, you can visit industrialcybersecuritypulse.com where we have different expert interviews. That's where you can find the rest of our podcast with all the different episodes, which is where you are right now. And uh, we also have regular articles that go up, got some serialized content popping here and there. And yeah, be sure to tune back in next week for our next podcast. They're always going to be dropping on Tuesdays. They're always available in the morning. And you can also find us on Spotify, on Amazon, on Google Podcasts. We are still working on Apple Podcasts, but we will get to the, you Apple users soon. And one thing we're doing that we've never done before is let's give you guys a way to talk to us. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all our listeners out there. Uh, we want to have a conversation with you guys. So if you're listening, you like what you're hearing, you don't like what you're hearing, you love Tyler, you hate me, let us know. If you want to come on and talk to us about a topic, we are out here at on Twitter at ICS underscore pulse. That's at ICS underscore pulse. Or let's open this up. You can actually email us. I am G Cohen at cfemedia.com. Tyler is T wall at cfemedia.com. Again, send your comments to us. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. And if you don't like one of us, that's okay. Um, we are disposable. All right. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for joining us, guys. Stay safe out there. Yep. See you.